and the first part of my study is titled Following Jesus Through the Crisis. You know, when we think about the final crisis, I remember when I was growing up, when I heard about a national Sunday law, it brought fear to me. And when we talk about the national Sunday law and about the final crisis, and when we preach about elements of the third angel, there is an element even within our church that said, you're scaring the people. Have you heard that? But when we study deeply on the pattern of Christ's life near the closing scenes of his life, we see a pattern how Jesus has already paved the way as a forerunner for us to have victory in the crisis hour. So when we have Jesus in our lives and when we follow Jesus, perfect love casts out all fear. So before I begin, let's have a word of prayer. We'll ask for the invitation of the Holy Spirit as we begin our study following Jesus through the Christ. Our Father and God in heaven, Father, we thank Thee for waking us up here in a new morning to renew our commitments with Thee. We thank You for the forgiveness of sins. And Father, as we study the life and pattern of Your Son and what He suffered in the closing scenes of His life, and that we have the assurance that through our own trials, be it in the present hour or in the future, we have assurance that we have a high priest that's mediating in our behalf, that we could go boldly to his throne of grace in our hour of need. So, Father, we ask for the Holy Spirit here to teach us your word. Father, empty me of self. May you use me, an erring, sinful man of dust, in a way that you see fit, that I may not be a curse but a blessing to your people. This we pray. In Christ's name, amen. A follower is a person or thing that follows. A person who follows another in regard to his, his or her ideas or belief, discipline or adherent. A person who imitates, copies, or takes as a model or ideal. You know, we live in a culture of following. I come from Southern California where there is a following of celebrities. There is what's called cult followings, where people follow uh, rock stars from place to place. There's that famous rock group, I believe, in the 60s called the Grateful Dead, and you had those... Uh, followings or those followers that would follow them from city to city. They were called, I believe, deadheads. So you have people that follow all around. And recently there is a new phenomenon in the internet called Twitter. And what is Twitter based upon? It's based upon a following. And so all those that are assigned to Twitter follow the person or the celebrity trying to figure out what the celebrity is doing next. But I believe that more than a Twitter, we could have our own spiritual Twitter with the Word of God. Amen? And so 2,000 years ago, there was another group of rich men, rulers, wise men. They sought to follow a star. And those are the Bible says in Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, star in verse 1. Of a group of wise men that sought to follow a star. Matthew chapter 2, starting with verse 1. And when you're there, please say amen. Matthew chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Yes. 
The Bible says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. And so just like in the present day, many young people read about a star. They follow a star. They try to be informed and try to mimic and, and imitate the activity of a star. These wise men read about this star in the Old Testament prophecies. These wise men sought to follow the star. And who is this star? Notice what the Bible says in Revelation 22. Revelation 22. Revelation 22, verse 16. Who is the star as the Bible interprets itself? Revelation 22, verse 16. When you're there, please say amen. amen. And the Bible says, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And so, they follow the superstar of superstars, Jesus Christ. But what does it entail to follow Jesus, this star? You know, many people say, yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I want to follow Jesus. Yes, I am a follower of Jesus. We have T-shirts and what's this? You know, back then it was a, their rage, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And, and, and Jesus T-shirts. But what does it really mean to follow Jesus? Notice the Bible says in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. Matthew 16, verse 24. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. And the Bible says in Matthew 16, verse 24, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. So the Bible is saying, in order to follow Jesus, we must follow him with our own cross. Now, have you thought about that, the cross? Do you know that the cross is the most excruciating, most despiteful, disgraceful form of execution in the Roman Empire? Roman citizens were not reserved crucifixion. Only those that committed high treason against Caesar were crucified if you're a Roman citizen. Crucifixion was reserved for the lowest of the low. And so Jesus is saying, in order to follow him, we must carry our own cross. We should not be afraid to lose our life or our worldly gain for what profit is us to gain the whole world but lose our soul. Friends, we have mansions in heaven that God has built for us. With no mortgage debt. Amen. Amen. And it's free. It was paid by the blood of Jesus. 
And as we, many of us, are caught up in the cares of this life, Jesus has built mansions of heaven. He has built us country property in, in the outskirts of heaven, in, in the grassy knolls that is tinged with gold and silver, as inspiration says. But we must go on that straight path of carrying our cross. And for the Bible promises that when the Son of Man shall come in glory of his Father and his angels, then he will reward us that is faithfully carrying our cross in the straight and narrow path. And what is involved in following Jesus? Notice what the Bible says in John chapter 15. John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 19. John chapter 15, verse 19. The Bible says, If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is no greater than the Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. In other words, when you follow Jesus, you will expect persecution. You see, right now, Christianity is popular. You know, because people think, oh, I could just praise it up and I love Jesus. But Christianity comes with commitment. You see, true love is shown through a crisis. You know, you can love somebody all you want when things are going well and, and, and things are flowery and you have that nice house, but when that house is about to be foreclosed, when your business is about to fail, when your job is going so bad and your finances are low, are you still going to be tender to your wife? Are you going to be still tender and soft-spoken to your children? You see, that is where we reveal if we truly love someone or not. And so the reason why there's going to be a crisis in the last days is to demonstrate to the waiting universe if there is a people on this earth in the most excruciating crises in earth's history that will love Jesus so much that they would rather love Jesus than that of the world. And that is the final test. Now I want to read to you from Great Controversy, page 649, paragraph 1. In all ages, the Savior's chosen have been educated and disciplined in the school of trial. They walked in narrow paths on earth. They were purified in the furnace of affliction. For Jesus' sake, they endured opposition, hatred, calumny, they followed him through conflict sore. They endured self-denial and experienced bitter disappointments. But their own painful experience, they learned the evil of sin, its power, its guilt, its woe, and they looked upon it with abhorrence. A sense of the infinite sacrifice made for its cure humbles them in their own sight and fills their heart with gratitude and praise, which those who have never fallen cannot appreciate. They love much because they have been forgiven much. Having been partakers of Christ's sufferings, they are fitted to be partakers with him of his glory. So the small trials that we endure, the small persecution we endure day by day, these are just quizzes for the final exam. 
You see, God is permitting these things to happen because God wants us to pass 100% A plus in the final crisis. And so in these small trials, God is saying, my child, I love you. Let me prepare you day by day. It's like a personal trainer when, when an athlete is training for the Olympics. He doesn't become a star athlete overnight. He must train diligently. He must discipline his body. He must wake up early. He goes through trial and suffering to be that star Olympic athlete. And so God is training us spiritually through trial for that crisis hour. You see, there's going to be a special group that will follow Jesus wherever he goes. This special group, this special number. Notice what the Bible says in Revelation 14. Revelation 14. Revelation 14, starting verse 1. Notice the Apostle John in vision with his grand view of the special group. Revelation 14, verse 1. And when you're there, please say amen. The Bible says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of the great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and of the elders. And, and no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women for they are virgins these are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and unto men. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. So we see here a grand view. We see here the Lamb, which is, behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world, Jesus Christ. And we see a number, 144,000, with the Father's name sealed in their foreheads. In the Bible, name equals character. And so we have here these 144,000. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They are virgins. Now, these are spiritual virgins. You see, in the Bible, a woman represents a church. You can find that in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 to 27, Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 2, and other texts. And so here in Revelation, there is a corrupt church, this whore of Babylon that's seeking to seduce all the people of the earth. And they are virgins because they do not be seduced by the whore of Babylon. Therefore, spiritually, they are not unadulterated by the corruptions of the confusion of this whore. And then... They are faultless before the throne of God without no guile. You see, Jesus was faultless in this earth. And he had no guile. And so this special group will follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Now, what do they come out of this 144,000? Notice what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7, verse 14. Revelation chapter 7 also talks about the 144,000. And it talks about how they are sealed by the seal of God. And it tells in verse 14 
of what experience they come out of. You remember in Revelation 14, we just read that they have a song that no man can sing. Now, those of you that are experienced with song, like Brother Taylor there, a song represents an experience, does it not? And so these people have an experience that no one else has. What is this experience? Notice what the Bible says in Revelation 7, verse 14. And the Bible says, And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, and this is about the 144,000, These are they which came out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So the 144,000 comes out of the great tribulation. And I washed their robes with the blood of the Lamb. Now, we've had many tribulations throughout this earth's history. We've had the Dark Ages. We've had the Holocaust. We have stuff going on now in Darfar and Sudan. What is this great tribulation talking about? Notice what the Bible says in Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Matthew 24, starting at verse 21. In the beginning of Matthew 24, you have the disciples outside of the Jewish temple approaching Jesus. And privately, they went to Jesus, and this is in verse 3, they said to Jesus, what are the signs of your coming, and what is at the end of the world? And Jesus lists all these signs, and in verse 21, he says this about some of the signs at the end of the world. Verse 21, the Bible says, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. So what time frame does this great tribulation come in? Near the end of the world. And so the 144,000 come out of the experience of great tribulation near the time of the end of the world. You see in Acts chapter 14, verse 22, the Bible says, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Now, according to dictionary.com, a follower is a person who imitates, copies, or takes as a model or ideal. Now, the 144,000, they follow the Lamb wherever he goes. So who are they following? How are they following the Lamb wherever he goes? Notice what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. And when you're there, please say amen. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. And the Bible says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. So the Bible is saying, Christ is an example for us. Remember, we are following the star, which is Jesus. Christ was an example for us in his suffering that we should follow his steps. Verse 22, who did no sin, 
neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live into righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Now question, where did Christ suffer the most? In Gethsemane. From the Gethsemane to the cross, near the closing scenes, is where Christ suffered the most. Now, Christ gave us an example for us that we should follow his steps. The example and the pattern that he gave to us of how he endured suffering or persecution. And it's interesting. The Bible says in this text, in verse 22, Who did no sin, neither was guile found in the mouth. You see, in Revelation 14.5, the 144,000 were faultless from the throne of God, and had no guile. So the 144,000 follow the Lamb wherever he goes, and will follow the Lamb in his suffering. Now, there's one thing that the 144,000 will not do that Jesus did. Jesus became our substitute and sacrifice and died for our sins. And I praise God that Jesus was the one that took and went in our stead to take the second death so we have a chance in salvation. And that right is only to Jesus. But the other aspects of Jesus' life, we could draw object lessons of what we as a people may endure very soon as the crisis hour is coming as an overwhelming surprise. As Christ's death approached, he talked about the specific time of the day when which his crisis hour was to begin. Notice what the Bible says in Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verse 31. Matthew 26, verse 31. As we see here that Christ has finished his communion service of the bread and the wine, the unfermented wine, with the disciples, he did the foot washing, the ordinances, as an example during the Passover feast. In Matthew 26, verse 31, notice the time of day that Jesus said that he will begin his suffering. The Bible says, Then said Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. So what time of the day would Jesus begin his crisis hour? The night. You know what night represents? You see, in the Bible, we have a literal local application. In other words, literally, the Red Sea parted and the children of Israel crossed over. But there's a worldwide spiritual application of how we could apply various things in the Bible for us in the last day. And so not only did Christ suffer for us literally in the night, but prophetically there's an implication. What does night mean prophetically? In Psalms 91 verse 5, I'll read this. You don't have to go there. In the 91 division of Psalms verse 5, the Bible says, Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor the arrow that flieth by day. So David is saying that night 
is associated with terror. In the 77th division of Psalms, the 77th division of Psalms, verse 2, the Bible says, In the day of my trouble I sought the Lord. My sore ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. In the 30th division of Psalms, verse 5, For his anger endureth for a moment, and his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. So night represents a time of trouble or a crisis. In fact, notice what inspiration says. Notice what Ellen White says, our magnifying glass for the Bible. Amen? Amen. Christ Object Lessons, page 414, paragraph 3. The coming of the bridegroom was at midnight, the darkest hour. So the coming of Christ will take place in the darkest period of this earth's history. To God's people, it will be a night of trial, a night of weeping, a night of persecution for the truth's sake. But out of the night of darkness, God's light will shine. And so, Night represents a time of trouble. And so we remember, at night, Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane. He brought his three closest disciples. And what did he ask his three closest disciples to do? Notice what the Bible says in Matthew 26. Matthew 26, starting with verse 36. Matthew 26, verse 36. And the Bible says, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and said unto the disciples, Sit ye here, while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith him unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it be possible, let the cup pass from me, nevertheless not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples, and he findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What? Could he not watch with me one hour? Verse 41. Watch. And pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So Jesus sought his followers, his disciples, to watch and pray as the crisis hour approached. Now, did Jesus say in other passages to watch and pray? for a specific time period in earth's history? Knows what the Bible says in Luke 21. Luke 21. Luke 21, verses 34. Luke 21, verse 34. And when you're there, please say amen. amen. Luke 24, verse 34. And the Bible says, And take heed to yourselves, lest any... Time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, so that day come upon you unawares. 
For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So Jesus is saying, before we stand before the Son of Man, which is when Christ comes in the cloud of glory, that we must watch and pray. But what causes many to not watch and pray? The Bible says here, lest anyone's overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and the cares of this life. Now, as many of us are Seventh-day Adventists, and we believe the health message, amen? I believe many of us do not have a problem with alcohol. But there is another type of spiritual drunkenness that many of us in God's last day remnant church are inflicted with, a spiritual alcoholism, which is called the cares of this life. You see, in Luke chapter 8, verse 14, the Bible says about the cares of his life, and that which fell among the thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. You see, the cares of this life benumbs us to the times that we're living in. When everything is so easy, when everything is going so good, when everything is so smooth and dandy, when you have that nice, comfortable house with air conditioning and 90-degree weather and with 80-degree heat and below zero weather, everything is comfortable. But when you have none of those conveniences, you want to get out of that place, amen? You see, God is removing the conveniences of this earth from us so that we desire that of heaven. He's permitting trial so that we could realize that this world is not our home. We are just pilgrims. We are just passing through, immigrating to the heavenly Canaan. And so God is permitting the removal of earthly support. He is allowing a global economic crisis to wake God's people up, that this work will not be finished by Monetary means, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. God will take this work to his own, and he is going to gather together a people that will love him so much that will finish this work. Not by 501c3s, not by all these elaborate methods. God is going to use simple means to finish this work. And so, many of us, are intoxicated. You know, literal intoxication, we have those that have experienced alcohol, literal intoxication, you have a tendency to sleep. And the spiritual intoxication, the cares of this life, causes us to not watch and pray. Now, what does the Apostle Paul say about watching and praying? Those are the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4. As we compare Scripture with Scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting verse 4. And when you're there, please say amen. 
But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day, and we are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. So the Apostle Paul says that we must be sober and watch. Now what does the Apostle Peter say? Notice what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. As we compare Scripture with Scripture. As the Bible says, Unto out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, so it shall be established. Notice what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. The Bible says, But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Now, notice the author is Peter. Peter was there in Gethsemane during Christ's crisis hour, and he was sleeping. So this is an eyewitness that experienced not being ready for a crisis, saying, listen, I've been there. You need to watch and pray. But what were the disciples doing when Jesus said to watch and pray? And notice what the Bible says in Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verse 40. Matthew 26, verse 40. And the Bible says in Matthew 26, verse 40. And the Bible says, And he, which is Jesus, cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What? Could he not watch with me one hour? The disciples were sleeping. What caused the disciples to sleep? I would like to submit to you. The disciples were caught up with the cares of this life. You see, the disciples, one of the motives of why they followed Jesus was because they thought that Jesus would liberate the Jewish nation from the Roman Empire. They thought that the Jewish nation will be restored to the political superpower splendor of that of Solomon. They were vying for positions in this literal temporal government. They were focusing on the cares of this life, not realizing that Christ's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom and not a temporal national kingdom. And so the disciples, they were sleeping, saying, oh, no, Jesus has it under control. He's going he's gonna to go. He's going to defeat Caesar. He's going to overthrow Pilate. He's going to do all these things. We're going to follow him. He's going to lead this grand revolution. Oh, watch and pray. We could just sleep and have a good time. You see, they were caught up in the cares of this life. But do you know that the sleeping disciples represent something very significant here in the last days? I'm reading to you. Signs of the Times, August 14, 1879, paragraph 6. Inspiration writes, In this fearful hour of trial, Christ's human nature longed even for the sympathy of his disciples. A second time he rose from the earth and went 
to them and found them sleeping. This was not a deep sleep. They were in a drowse. They had a limited sense of their Lord's suffering and anguish. In tenderness, Jesus stood for a moment bending over them and regarding them with mingling feelings of love and pity. In these sleeping disciples, he sees a representation of a sleeping church. When they should be watching, they are asleep. So the sleeping disciples represent the sleeping church, the Laodicean church that's sleeping in the hour as the crisis hour looms near. But Jesus is a medical missionary. Jesus diagnosed the problem of the disciples. Why were the disciples sleeping? He diagnosed it. Notice what the Bible says in Matthew 26, verse 41. The Bible says, Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so, they, the disciples, were succumbing to their tendencies of the flesh. Now, the Apostle Paul says something very significant about the flesh. Notice what the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. And when you're there, please say amen. The Bible says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. So the Bible is saying that our fleshly desires is in direct conflict with our spiritual desires. And so when we walk after the flesh, we do the things of the flesh. So the disciples, the reason why they were sleeping, they were walking after the flesh because they wanted to satiate the fleshly desires of having high positions in the restored little Israel kingdom. They did not walk after the Spirit. You see, when we walk after the Spirit, our whole worldview changes. We have a new big picture concept. We're not earning money just to have a retirement check. We're earning money to invest in the gospel message, to spread the three angels' message to the whole world. Amen. Our careers, our motive for careers is not to get a nice job so that we can flaunt Lexuses and Mercedes Benzes. No, our desire for occupation is to do what we can to cooperate with God, to finish the great work that God has called the Seventh-day Adventist Church to do. Amen. See, that's walking after the Spirit. But the disciples walked after the flesh. You see, how do we walk after the Spirit? Notice what the Bible says in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, starting verse 1. The Bible says, 
There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You see, the 144,000 follow in the steps of Jesus. They follow the Lamb wherever He goeth. They do not walk after the flesh. They walk after the Spirit. And since Jesus came down as a human being, was tempted at all points and yet without sin, and gained the victory for us, now all we have to do is accept the victory and act out and believe the Word of God. Remember when Jesus healed the paralytic? The paralytic, when Jesus said, arise and walk, the paralytic had no evidence that Jesus was going to do anything. He just believed the Word of Jesus and he arose and walked. There was no evidence. There was faith. We must have faith in the Word of God. We must act out the Word of God and stepping and following the steps of Jesus. And Jesus will give us the power when we commit. When Christ says, arise and walk and take that first step, Jesus will give us the power to sprint to the ceaseless ages of eternity. And Christ is designed to do that for you and I. Now the question is, what are we to watch? Notice what the Bible says in Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 30. Matthew 24, verse 30. What are we to watch? Matthew 24. Verse 30, the Bible says, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Question, what is this describing? The second coming. Amen. And now notice what Matthew continues in verse 32. Why is he mentioning this? Now learn a parable of the fig tree when his branch is yet tender and put it forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. So in other words, we are to see the prophetic time that we're living in. We need to watch the events that are going on. We have to watch and observe the nearness of Christ's coming so we know and realize the great work that we do have to do, but with little time. You see, we must watch the events that have been foretold in the Bible and the spirit of prophecy, and we see it being fulfilled in our very eyes today. We must watch what's going on. 
And what was the prayer of Jesus? Notice what the Bible says in Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verse 39. Matthew 26, verse 39. What is the prayer of Jesus? The Bible says in Matthew 26, verse 39. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Now, question. Do you think Jesus wanted to go through Gethsemane? Do you think that Jesus wanted to go through with the cross? His fleshly nature, his human nature? No. In our own selves, in our natural state, we do not want to go through the final crisis. You see, Jesus understands because Jesus went through that. But Jesus' prayer was, nevertheless, not what I want, Father, but what you want, your will. You see, Jesus didn't walk after the flesh. He walked after the spirit. I want to read to you, Desire of Ages, page 687, paragraph 1. And what was to be gained by this sacrifice? How hopeless appeared the guilt and ingratitude of men. In its hardest features, Satan pressed the situation upon the Redeemer. The people who claim to be above all others in temporal and spiritual advantages have rejected you. They are seeking to destroy you, the foundation, the center and seal of the promises made to them as a peculiar people. One of your own disciples who has listened to your instruction and has been among the foremost in church activities will betray you. One of your most zealous followers will deny you. All will forsake you. Christ whole being abhorred the thought that those whom he had undertaken to save, those whom he loved so much, should unite in the plots of Satan, this pierced his soul. The conflict was terrible. Its measure was the guilt of his nation, of his accusers and betrayer, the guilt of a lying world in wickedness. The sins of men weighed heavily upon Christ, and the sense of God's wrath against sin was crushing out his life. Can you imagine? Inspiration says that when Jesus foresaw that his own church members will betray him, his greatest followers, his greatest preachers will forsake him. You know what inspiration says? That many in the crisis hour in the Seventh-day Adventist church will betray other Seventh-day Adventists. We'll know about that in, in our other sessions. That many of the powerful preachers, many that shine lights and stars in his brilliancy will be snuffed out during the crisis hour. You see, just like what Jesus went through in this crisis hour, so too God's people will endure a similar persecution, a similar experience in the last days. Nevertheless, Jesus said, Father, nevertheless, not my will, but your will. And what was the will of the Father? Notice what the Bible says in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, starting verse 10. Isaiah 53, starting with verse 10. And when you're there, please say amen. What was the will of the Father? The Bible says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul 
an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge, shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. So it pleased God that Christ suffered for our sins. Now, the reason why it pleased God is because it would allow humanity to once again be reconciled with the love of the Father. You see, all of heaven was weeping when Christ was being crucified. It was joy and pain intermingled. Can you imagine the chaos of emotions? In one hand, being happy that Christ is dying for our sins, that he is making it. But on the other hand, seeing the sufferings of Jesus, the simultaneous contradiction of emotions in heaven. You see, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, the Bible says, Who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. You see, it's God's will that all men be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, the Bible says, Who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. So, do you know in Gethsemane when Jesus said, Father, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will? The will of the Father was that he delivers you and I in 2010 from the evil present world. You see, in my sanctified imagination, perhaps Jesus in his prophetic eye was seeing you and I here in this room, seeing that when he was praying, Father, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will, he was seeing you and I and how we'd have an opportunity to receive this three angels' message so that we could be with him in that long banquet table in the ceaseless ages of eternity, partaking of the fruit of the vine. That motivated Jesus to go through the crisis hour. And what is the will of God for his people in the last days? Notice the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, as I bring some final points. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. When you're there, please say amen. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17, what is the will of the Father for you and I? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17, the Bible says, For it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. You see, what God's people are going to do in the last day is preach the message of salvation, not only in word, but also in action. It is a good thing that we're doing this work, but we will suffer for doing good, just like Christ suffered for doing the ultimate good, for dying for our sins in Calvary. That is what it means to follow the Lamb. Notice what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. The Bible says, For as much then as Christ also suffered for us in the flesh, 
arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. Hopping down to verse 12, the Bible says, Beloved, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice in as much as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. You see, when we partake of the cup of persecution, what is promised to us? Notice what the Bible says in Matthew 20. Matthew 20. Matthew 20, Matthew 20, verse 20, Matthew 20, verse 20. The Bible says in Matthew 20, verse 20, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee, children with their sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant unto these my two sons may sit the one on thy right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. And Jesus answered and said, Ye know not that ye ask, Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and, the, and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. And he saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup, and be baptized with my baptism. And I am baptized with, and to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them to whom it is prepared of my Father. The cup of baptism that Christ suffered for us in the closing hours of his life. And just like John suffered in persecution and the other disciples. So too, we are called to do the same thing. And brothers and sisters, we have a high priest who has been touched with the feelings of our infirmities that was tempted at all points, yet without no sin. Therefore, we could go boldly to his throne of grace in our hour of need. And you know, when Jesus prayed, his prayer, Father, nevertheless not my will, but thy will. We should be praying, Father, I don't want to endure this persecution. Father, I love my house. Father, I love my car. Father, I love my Wi-Fi internet. Father, I love the conveniences of this world. But Father, nevertheless not my will, but thy will. Father, I let go of my rights and these earthly possessions you bless me with because they're not mine, they're yours. You giveth and you taketh away. Father, nevertheless, not my will, but your will. And you know what happened when Jesus prayed that prayer of Father, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will? You can look it up in your own time. In Luke chapter 22, verse 42 and 43, what happened was that the angel came down when Jesus was praying in Gethsemane and he helped him during that time. You see, when we pray that prayer, God will send his power to help us in our time 
of need. But we must begin here now and watching and pray. You see, there's a beautiful promise in John chapter 16, verse 33. The Bible says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You see, Jesus has already written the script for us in how to deal with the final crisis. All we have to do is read the script and follow the director. He's already given us the battle plans for victory. All of it is laid out in the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. But when we commit to watch and pray and study and work and have a relationship with Jesus so we could stand in that crisis hour. And there's a beautiful promise, our final text in Psalms 37. The 37th division of Psalms. Psalms 37, verse 39. Psalms 37, verse 39. Knows the beautiful promise that God gives through the psalmist. Psalms 37, verse 39. The Bible says, But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in Him. Nevertheless, not my will with thy will, Father. Will we trust in God? Will we trust Him to lead us through the final crisis? Jesus is there saying, my child, I have already paved the way with my cross. You are to carry your cross and follow me. And if it's your desire today to say, Father, I want to pray the prayer. Nevertheless, not my will but thy will be done. Father, help me to watch and pray. Father, help me to transcend the worldly attainments and the temptations of the cares of this life. Help me to see the big picture that you have prepared mansions of heaven. You have prepared an entire universe for your people. Father, help me to see that this here and now is nothing compared to what you have prepared for me. If that's your desire, I ask that we reverently and ask for that experience if that's your desire. Our Father and God in heaven, Father, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will, Father. Father, here in the United States, we are blessed with so many conveniences. Even those that are in the lower class economically in this great nation are so abundantly blessed compared to those that are living in Haiti and Bangladesh and all these other nations that are struggling for a meal. Father, you have provided so much and materially for us in this nation. But Father, soon and very soon, many of these things, these conveniences, every earthly support, as inspiration says, will be cut off from us. Father, our flesh is crying. We do not want to leave these attainments. But Father, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will. Father, help us to watch and pray. Father, help us to realize the big picture that it's not about enjoying the things of this world. It's not about enjoying the malls of here today. But Father, you have given us the transparent golden streets of heaven as inheritance for your saints. Father, help us to see the big picture. 
that you've given us all the riches of this universe for those that love thee. And Father, help us to have that love for you so that we can stand in this crisis hour. This we pray and believe in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, Savior, and God. In Christ's name, amen.